Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. As always, Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. We're in a different studio today. Uh, we got bumped by by the Harbaugh's podcast, but so so things will sound a little different. I, I liken it to like when you're at a friend or a relative's and and you're u- using their shower and it's slightly different. So so it may be may sound a little different or have some technical difficulties, but hopefully it's, it works. We got tons of questions today, and because we're kind of in that middle part of the summer before uh, a little too soon for for that much preseason talk and a little too too far removed for last season's talk and and all that. So it's going to be lots of recruiting, and we got lots of questions from our listeners on Twitter. Uh, so we'll get to those in just a moment. But uh, yeah, so Steve, lots of recruiting. I guess I don't. Where do you want to start? Is there a particular? <laughs> Should we start with Andy? Yeah, Andy gets first dibs. Yeah, today. Andy gets first dibs. Andy Schiltz on Twitter. Because he said that he subscribed after listening to our podcast. So Yeah, subscribe to the site. Be like Andy. That, Andy. Yeah, yeah, be like Andy. You'll always get your questions answered. Uh, and more importantly, by the way, some of the questions we don't answer, it's because it's VIP Intel, and we do work hard to, to bring stuff to our subscribers, and we obviously have to prioritize them because they uh, pay the bills. And Give me so, an update on every top target remaining on Michigan's board in all three of the next recruiting classes. <laughs> but, you know, someone someone like Andy, who's a VIP subscriber, might do a more insightful question because he already knows the information. You know? True. So, Fair. So be like Andy once again. Appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate it reading that. That was nice to read that this morning, to have somebody sub because of the podcast. You know, that's that was really cool. So, yeah. Well, Andy, Andy had two questions. Uh uh, one about the offensive line, one about Eric Gray. Which one you want to do? I mean, we could talk Gray. I don't think was Gray. Was he? I don't even remember. Was he committed last week? No. So he's committed. Oh yeah, time. yeah. They got so. a couple. They okay. So yeah, yeah. That's right. It's I took a couple days off, so like my whole calendar's uh, out of whack. But they had they had a few more commits. They had Gray. They had Quinton Johnson. They had is it Denver Warren the twenty twenty, yeah yeah uh, we don't need a Ojabo. oh yeah wow so okay okay so so of those four I guess we can start with Gray in out of respect to Andy uh, three down back just a third down change of pace what does he bring number one all purpose back top one hundred by twenty four sevens evaluators uh, seem to look really really good at the opening Steve what are your thoughts on Gray in regards to Andy's question and overall? Well, I mean, he doesn't have to be an every down back. So I suppose in the right system, I mean, if, you know, he could be, you know, he's what, about 190, 195. I mean, that's great mm-hmm. size. It's capable size at the running back position. I and mean, that's so, what Higdon was at at one exactly. time. Yeah. So. so I think, yeah, he could be, but I, you know, he's not being recruited to be obviously with, with Charbonnet, the other, uh, you know, commitment in the class. And, you know, he'd, you know, I, I look at him as, you know, like how they use, how they would, I assume will use Chris Evans this year in the passing game, you know, yeah, sort of that change of pace type guy. So uh, really honestly, like cannot say enough about that one, two combo. I mean, Michigan 
really hit a grand slam this cycle, in my opinion. And uh, like I've said a few times as well, I think they really like what they got in 18. As a matter of fact, I, I guess I'd, if we're talking about subscribers, I would give one little tidbit. It's not nothing huge, uh, but I have heard some great things already about Hassan Haskins uh, impressing physically uh, upon his arrival to campus. And so, you know, with him and Christian Turner, who we've hyped up Christian, at this point, Christian Turner might be rated. I don't think he's underrated or overrated anymore cause, just because of the way amount of time we've devoted to talking <laughs> about his abilities. So I would just call him rated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so they like what they got in 18, but then to complement it, supplement it with what they've already gotten in 19. Uh, great stretch of running back recruiting for Michigan, in my opinion. So, uh, so yeah, Gray overall, huge addition. He'll move. I suspect that he will move up again. Barton uh, Simmons already alluded to it, even though we already have him in the top 100. Uh, he was one of the best players at the opening, regardless of position. So, um, so like top 50 move up or, or kind of in the I mean, same? I don't know. That's really yeah. hard to know with those guys. But sure. here's the thing is like his composite is just holding him way, way down. Uh, I believe another service has him ranked as the 21st best player in Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, people are is, showing like yeah. there's, there's some guy rated ahead of him that was like their best offer was like Chattanooga. Yeah. And like so Gray has won two, right. two Gatorade player of the years, Mr. Football. Right. And that's like one of the things where it's kind of like, you know, I don't know with the composite right now with scout being dissolved, um, ESPN, being, I'd say, spotty in their evaluations. And then the whole idea of, you know, if you do attend a certain camp or don't attend a certain camp, it could affect where you're rated as well. I mean, I'd be 100% honest in saying, as things stand right now, if I were a fan, and I'm not just saying this because we are part of 24-7 sports, but I would gravitate towards where we have a prospect ranked, to be honest with you, in most instances. Um just for that reason, like, yeah, Eric Gray's ranking on rivals is a total joke. So <laughs> will it change? I don't know, but there's zero doubt he's much closer to where we have him than where his composite is being, is dragging him down. So, and that's the thing, right? So his Michigan's, you know, their average rating per recruit sits at about a 90, you know, and like, but if you were to move, if Gray was to be a composite top 100 prospect, as he should be, that would bump that up. You know, guys like uh, Charbonnet is another one who will definitely move up on 24-7's rankings. Uh, Ojabo. Yeah. I actually was literally writing a piece this morning. I'm doing a piece this morning on all 19 commitments and, and just sort of a stock report on where they're the likelihood of their rankings fluctuating from now until the end of the cycle. So, keep an eye out for that but yeah like I look at a guy like Gray and it's like it's one of those things where it's you know the devil is in the details as far as like he's way better than 248th right so uh, anyway long-winded answer but Gray's obviously a great addition I don't think he's an every down back but only because Michigan won't really need him to be in my opinion Mm -hmm. so I have a question this one's from me uh with with Jay Harbaugh because you've talked about how successful recruiter he is and how people I mean I he's probably like 
the most scrutinized assistant coach because he does, didn't have a ton of experience coming in as far as like being a position coach in college. But he's shown, you know, I mean, the tight ends, he had a All-American there. It seems like his the running backs are one of the better position groups on the team right now. And then this recruiting, what does he do well in recruiting that allows him to get, I mean, two, two, because, you know, forget, you know, they can be rated whatever they wanted. A lot of schools wanted Eric Gray and Zach Charbonnet, and they got both of them right out of state recruit. I mean, what did, what did he do well in this class that allowed him to get the two? Well, I think, you know, he's a younger guy. I think that helps out a lot with these kids when trying to connect and relate to them sometimes. Um, I know that's one thing. I mean, he's done a great job of that pretty much since he got to campus as far as on the recruiting trail. You know, the one thing about him is, you know, he's won some of the more impressive recruitments of anybody on staff besides probably Partridge. Right. Uh, you know, Mustafa Muhammad, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, Mustafa Muhammad was a Michigan lean, like the entire, like for months before he committed, but Michigan still beat like legitimately almost every school in the country for him last cycle. Hmm. I mean, he was one of the most, uh, pro had one of the most prolific offer sheets of any prospect in the entire class, let alone tight end. Uh, Devin, he beat, he beat every, all those schools on the West coast for Devin Asiasi when he signed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know he transferred, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking right. about the recruitment. Yeah, his job is to get them. Exactly, yeah. yeah, is to, you know, and and he beat UCLA and USC and Washington and all those schools, big schools out west for, you know, a big-time tight end. And then, of course, the Najee Harris one. I know they didn't finish there. It was about as close as it possibly could have been. Uh, amazing that Michigan was as in it as they were, and he was the primary reason for that, zero doubt. Um, and then you look at these two recruitments, uh, you know, the Eric Gray recruitment was kind of a, kind of an odd one. Uh, like I think I posted when he committed Michigan could have had him early. Like they were, I think it was my instinct tells me it was much more of a, not saying they cooled off on him cause they know they've always known how good of a prospect he was, but I think they were debate about, you know, did they need a back of his type in this class? with what they already had on the roster, et cetera, et cetera. It is a crowded um, room, to be fair. It is now. Yeah, yeah, it will be now. Um, you know, but – and so, like, it kind of turned into an SEC. You know, there was, like, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Tennessee was there for a little bit, too. I mean, he was on Tennessee's campus quite a few times. Um, and then, you know, things kind of pick up. Once the Kyron Williams stuff started to slow down a little bit, uh, Michigan picked it back up there with Gray, and then all of a sudden you have Alabama and Penn State. Yeah, <laughs> um, Alabama fans were in my mentions after uh, he uh, committed to Michigan. I said he committed to Michigan over Alabama. Well, Gray had given his verbal to Michigan on Wednesday before the what he commit on Sunday, I believe. Okay, uh, he gave his verbal earlier in the week. Not a coincidence that Keelan Robinson out of Washington, D.C., committed to Alabama that exact same night. Basically, Alabama knew they were out of it for Gray um, and then decided to move forward with, with Robinson there. Uh, so Alabama, if, if Gray had wanted to commit to Alabama, they would have taken him for sure. And then Penn State. Uh, yeah. So all of a sudden it goes to a really marquee recruiting win all of a sudden because you had Alabama and Penn State. 
you know, Penn State's arguably recruited the running back position better than anybody the last <laughs> three cycles. Um, you know, you forget about Saquon Barkley. I mean, they have Miles Sanders. Yep. They got uh, Ricky Slade was the number one all-purpose back in yep. 18. Uh, they got two. They got another stud, Devin Ford, in 19. Uh, so they probably lead for Marshawn Lloyd in 2020. He's probably the number two or three back in the country. So, yeah, so uh, marquee recruiting win there. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's his ability to connect with the kids it's it's all about it's what i would say it's comes down to like connecting with kids and then being selectively aggressive like you always want to be aggressive on the recruiting trail but you also want to allow the kids to uh, go through the process the way they want to go through it so like i know one of the big things with Najee harris was like you know didn't want coaches bugging him and calling him all the time and, and, you know, ringing him off the hook and all that kind of crap. And I know Michigan was the the main school that really kind of heeded that advice, let him do the process the way he wanted to do it. And uh, I think that really resonated and it's what gave Michigan such an excellent chance with him. So, um, you know, so it's, it's that, you know, it's an understanding of connecting with the kid as a person, but then also like connecting with them as far as like how they want the process to go and how they want to approach it. So, um, you know, some kids, yeah, some kids want to be, this isn't, I'm not saying a bad thing, but just some kids want the attention. Some kids want coaches ringing them off the hook. They want, they want a more tangible sense of which schools really want them the most, Mm -hmm. um, you know, type deal. And, uh, you know, I think Jay, is close to almost anyone on the staff. Like I said, I think Partridge is obviously there. Uh, the two, the two new hires with yeah, Jerome say Moore, Warren, Washington, Washington. Yeah. Yep. Well, Greg, Greg Madison too, though, is still uh, an excellent. Recruiter, well, it seems like you know? they're all, I don't know if there's anyone on the staff that's like, no, you know, I think up, everyone, I think, where it, yeah, yeah, I think Pep Hamilton it, had like to relearn. Cause there, like, you know, he's been, he's an NFL right. coach by trade, but, you know, I said even where there were deficiencies in the staff before, I think that they have kind of filled and picked up. Like we talked about Ed War, I think I don't know, I don't know one of the was it the radio show this week or something. Yeah, I think it was on the radio. Yeah, talked about Ed Warner as a guy that wasn't necessarily looked at as an elite recruiter, and uh, I don't know, I don't necessarily think you could say he's been an elite recruiter for Michigan, but he's been way better than I think most anticipated. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I think there's been a, yeah, I don't know, you know, cause like I said, I'm not as down on the 18 class as other people are. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't broken. It was just, I, I think there I were a couple mean, misses like, though. I agree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. late, the late misses hurt. I mean, that's, we've said that a thousand times, you know, with the Tyler Fridays, the petite frères, like all that, those were, uh, Jarrett Patterson, even really more than Petit Frere, obviously, or absolute, actually, Jesus. Um, but yeah, so I think they've, you know, the two new hires have been huge, but really a lot of these guys have been recruiting pretty well for a long time. And I think this, they're maybe starting to see a little bit more fruits of their labor right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to Andy's other question, because this is one that I think we got like four variations of this. He wants to know, about a two deep on the offensive line, uh, so starters and backups, and and we should preface this by saying we have not seen a single ounce of Michigan football. Not just us, like nobody, nobody, no reporters have seen like an ounce of Michigan football since January. 
first. So, so anything we say is kind of hearsay, rumblings, this and that. But I think it was pretty it made pretty clear to us in the spring. Caesar Ruiz at center, you know Ben Bradison left guard, Michael Nwenu right guard, Stephen Spinellis kind of a a you know fourth person in there utility. Yeah, <laughs> well he's really versed. I mean, and and I oh, think yeah, and we did get one question about Michael Nwenu's weight. I mean, the short answer is like we're not going to bother our sources to find out what one right guard is weighing two and a half months away from the season. So, so sorry that we can't get that one in specific. I mean, I know they, they have a plan Ed Warner wants him lighter than Tim Drevno wanted him. I mean, you know, we'll see what it looks like come the game time. Also, we'll see how much it matters, but Spinellis is someone, I mean, he shed 30 pounds once he got to campus. And I thought, I think I really liked his game in, in the Outback Bowl. I mean, he looked, he looked like a starting caliber lineman then. So, so he'll he'll probably get snaps, and you know, I mean, they they used him as a sixth lineman a decent amount last year. So, so yeah, that's probably your core interior tackles. Uh, I think I don't know what you've heard, Steve. I mean, I've heard it's Runyon and and Hudson for now. Um, I think it, it's kind of one of those ones that seems like it's gone back and forth because Bushel Beatty has experience and and you know is a little bit savvier, but Hudson seems like the higher potential guy. Uh, yep. So that's that's your starting. Um, I know you were on the Andrew Stuber train. Has that is there anything to read into him not being a projected starter? I mean, are they still looking at him as a possible starter, or is he, is he just kind of in the number two? I mean, I think the tackle positions, both of them are fall camp. Yeah. I don't think anybody's taken either of those spots and, and run away with it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, that's based on what we know. Uh, we're not there every day, but that's the strong suspicion, particularly at left tackle, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah. That one hasn't been decided yet. So, um, yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting pieces for them up front, like a Filiaga, you know, just Chuck play on the inside or the outside. Uh, Stewart, Do you like, like you him said. at one place more or less? He's a big dude. I feel like he could really be effective on the inside. He's like uh, three forty, isn't he? Six six yeah, seven three forty. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys though that's big but carries it well. Uh, mm-hmm. I suspect they'd probably prefer him to slim up a smidge, but not as much as you would think. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Big Mike. Is like yeah, he's the most uniquely built person I maybe have ever seen on the football field. Like I remember maybe people who have listened to us or or read us for a long time, remember this, but I remember Wilt Fong had a great way of describing him said that his like hands and feet are like uh, his fingers are like, they're like sausages. Like he is stuffed to the brim and his skin. (laughs) Like he's like, you know what you get what I'm saying though? Yeah. He holds, you look at him and you would think, like when they tell you his weight, whatever it would be at the time, you would not, you would look at him and not think that he weighed anything close to what, you know. So when he was like 350 in high school, you'd see him in person and think, like, yeah, he's a big dude, but not nearly that. But that's because he was just so filled out everywhere, you know. It yeah. wasn't like a sloppy 350. Not like a very big boned human being. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just, you know, impressive. 
Uh, so you'd watch him move in high school like, holy crap, a guy that big is not supposed to move that fast. And uh, When he squats, he has, he's the, I mean, I guess this isn't that surprising given his size, but he squats more than anyone else on the team. I don't doubt that for a yeah. second. I mean, that, it'd almost be a letdown if that wasn't the case. Yeah, that's just true. Because <laughs> of, just because of how big he is, you know. And, uh, I again, I mean, he's a guy. I mean, I just, if he gets it, he's a guy that I just, is one of those guys that could just take a massive leap forward at, at any time. Some of his and, pull uh, blocks were last year were unreal. Yeah. I mean, just and the way so, he was able to, like, take somebody out. Right. Yeah. And you wonder... Uh, you know, he was a guy I would say was similar to like, uh, well, but a lot of these high school guys who are so highly rated and were just so talented in high school, maybe could play, re- rely solely off talent. Um, and in his case, just the fact that he was just so much bigger than the guy across from him, like 99 times out of a hundred, um, that you talk about, the, the offensive linemen have made such a point in the offseason about talking about how much simpler and how simplified the scheme is under Warner, you know, that maybe he's a guy that could benefit from that, you know, more than, you know, just kind of let him play. Yeah. And, and not have to worry so much about this and that, you know. And, again, that really goes for almost many of these guys across the front. But, uh, but him, I just think – I think he and Ruiz especially – are just uber talents that could really be a really be forces if uh, if they figure things out. So, um, but Spinellis was really good in the bowl game. Yeah, he was. You know, and so that's the thing is like he was yeah, their know, highest graded offensive player in that game. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and, but if you really though you watch the game, I mean, he what he was good though. Yeah, I know. Granted, the offense kind of uh, took a poop in the second half, but. Uh, you know, he was pretty consistent throughout if you actually watch it. Mm-hmm. Not that many want to maybe turn on the second half of that game and rewatch it again. But, <laughs> uh, but if you do, you know, you'll see it. So, you know, I, I, but again, I, we've been, I don't know, saying this for how long. It feels like we do have this conversation every year, but it this does feel like they're finally starting to build some depth, some talented depth up front. And that's why I say you talk about the guys like Stuber and Filiaga and uh Honigford and even Phil Paya if that move is permanent. Uh, you know, is like that they they have some like some bodies, you know, uh, that could potentially you know, if a guy's not playing lights out, there might be a an actual good player sitting behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not. I call it like you're not backing into a starter. You like have well, an like, intentional starter, right? Like we talked about when when Newsom got hurt, they had to slide Braden over, and you know then it just threw everything out of loop, off a loop, you know. And so, um, you know the, the I think the staff, the sense I get is that they feel like that those days may finally be falling by the wayside. You add what should be six more offensive linemen in nineteen. And all of a sudden, you have just a massive amount of depth up front. So, mm-hmm. um, so who right now, like heading into the fall? I mean, one are there freshmen that they? I guess with this whole redshirt rule, it's it's a little different, so they can throw people in the fire. But like, like you know, the tackle that's kind of a swinging gate. We mentioned probably the six candidates that so, you know, two of them are going to start, and I imagine the other two or two more will probably play a decent amount. But interior. 
like you mentioned the the having a little bit more depth. Other than Spinellis, is there anyone and and I guess freshman, is there anyone else that we should be looking at as a potential part of that two deep group? As a true? Yeah. Is anyone well, gonna I mean, they were only they only took what, two? Okay. So it's gotta be Mayfield. Yeah. And I think I think see where he's at weight wise. Uh, but I think I definitely he's capable of competing. Absolutely. I think he was a guy that was kind of not forgotten, not by fans anyway, but maybe, I don't know, maybe by us a little bit even is like, you know, I guess, I guess it's just the assumption because they took so many guys in 17 and that they only took a couple in 18 that, uh, well, those guys are going to probably have to wait their turn. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't write Mayfield off. Hayes is going to have to grow, uh, if anything, he would play as a tight end first. Yeah, I was going to say, is he? have they decided yeah. what position he's going to be? Well, the plan, I think, has kind of always been tight end first and then you know, kind of keep him building up in the weight room and then see. He's going to be an intriguing guy. Uh, again, I, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and you know, Hayes in the composite was a 335. I think we had him near the top 100. Mayfield, same deal, 268 composite. We had him near the top 100. So... Uh, two guys I know, our evaluators, Barton specifically, Will Fong, True, uh, all pretty high on. So, mm-hmm. um, but with that rule, yes, like we said, kind of changes the whole. You know, I couldn't really do a list of instant impact freshmen because they're going to probably they try are, all of them. Yeah, yeah, they're probably all going to get a chance to play at some at some point to get them on the field. So, um, do you know? Okay, so that rule takes effect October fifteenth. Does that just mean like? this season it counts or does that mean that there's like a weird like well if it takes effect in october then i would assume that means that at any point past those games that those kids are eligible to play four games i don't know what that means as far as like will they play before october 15th right you know i so i would think they would because like like the red shirt decision like your eligibility is determined after the season right i believe so okay so then maybe it's nothing um i don't know whatever yeah um We'll see. But anyway, it does kind of, you know, I would assume with the rule in place that Jalen Mayfield would see some snaps this year. Okay. Just to get him that experience. At the very least, just to get him that experience. Yeah. Well, honestly, it's like with this new rule, I mean, you might as well, like, like those mid-major games, I know Michigan doesn't have any true super easy ones this year. You know, there's no Hawaii or... Right. Or Delaware State. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's <College>. yeah. <laughs> but I'll be curious to see if like Michigan tries to schedule more, of, or at least like one of those with this new rule, so that and then you can just like start your freshman, and like that can be like your exhibition game almost. Um, they 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 should be scheduling at least one cupcake a year anyway. I mean, why not? Yeah, I think I think the I think their non conference when we talk about. We, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? We looked compared their schedule to Georgia's. Yeah, Georgia's got a particularly easy schedule. No, but still, yeah. Like, and it's <laughs> not. You think? Do you really think it's going to hurt their playoff chances if they lose one game? Of course, it's not. No. So there's no downside, you know. You know, to scheduling, particularly as strong as the Big Ten East is right now. There's no downside to scheduling a crap off non-conference. You know, really, Michigan really could have gotten away without scheduling Notre Dame this year. Yeah. You know, with yeah, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, <laughs> one loss there in a 
in a Big Ten Conference championship and Michigan's in the playoff. Yeah, I think until... I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, the players shouldn't be skipping the bowl games to help their draft stock. Well, it's like until those players stop getting drafted higher than people who hurt themselves in the bowl game, right. like there's absolutely no reason for them not to skip. And and so same with the playoff, like until until a team with a weak schedule and a good record, I guess maybe Wisconsin technically saw themselves in the outside looking in because of their schedule last year. But, um, right. but like until it... Until, you know, a Georgia-type schedule doesn't get rewarded, you know, over a tough schedule, there's no reason to not throw one in it. You know, one, because I think, like, you know, Michigan, as long as they win every year, because I think that was one thing is, like, fans were sick of, like, the Delaware states, and I don't think FCS teams need to be a part of it, but, like, you know, you can schedule a Eastern Michigan, make it week one, you know, and then treat it like a NFL preseason game. It seems to make sense to me with this new redshirt rule, so... Uh, oh well, so we got so so since we had like multiple questions on the offensive line, uh, so we have Ruiz at center starter, Onwenu right guard starter, Bredesen left guard starter, Runyon Hudson for now, but certainly shouldn't put anything in pen uh, at at the tackle. And then do you okay? So then Bushel Beatty at the tackle. Who do you think is the fourth tackle? <laughs> this is a very Michigan type of question, right? Like, who's the number four tackle in July? Just, yeah. Just a clean stuber, I guess, would be my yeah. offhand guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah. those guys, they've moved inside and outside, though, but I suspect that Stuber is destined to play on the outside. Okay. And Filiaga's a little bit more of an inside guy. I think so. I could be that. Now, don't, you know, don't kill me there if I'm wrong. I just <laughs> I know that Filiaga went inside and outside in the spring, um, and last like during throughout the season last year in practice. And I just with his size and with Stuber's build, the way he's put together, I would just suspect that he's more of an outside compared to Filiaga. All right, prepare to be wrong there, though. Yeah, aren't we always with? Like, I feel yeah, like offensive line is like the the one it where it's is. like. Oh, speaking of, we actually have one kind of about that. Not not with us being wrong, but with projections being wrong. Did I lose the question? I think I did. Hold on. That's okay. Uh, oh, yeah. What goes into – Edward Benson wants to know, what goes into an offensive line projection? There are some behemoths like Wanya Morris and Evan Neal, but some other guys look too light and are, are bad in reps but are highly ranked. So uh, this is something – I think we talked about this last summer too – because offensive line is one where it's like you really don't know what you're going to, you, you know, you, there are things you can like, but like the recruiting rating versus the college success seems to vary the most at the offensive line position. Uh, do you, why in you, in your experience, why is that? Well, I know one of the things is like, and the they the person who asked the question highlighted like two really good examples, like a Wanya Morris. And uh, I believe Evan Neal was the other one that they highlighted. Yeah. Um, what, you know, I think maybe more than any other position, I think offensive line prospects run the risk of maybe being maxed out physically before they actually get to college. And I think you're seeing, what was it, 
I think we've talked about this stat a couple times. I think it was the the average offensive tackle in high school of far as far as like the top like was it 50 or something that were drafted in the NFL draft in April. The average height and weight was six five and a half, two eighty two, which is not playing weight. No, yeah, that's pretty low. Tackle. That's when you right. spin it and you say they're a, a nimble, athletic offensive line, but really they're not quite big enough. Right, and I think you know, I think you're seeing schools and Michigan's one of them because I think the reason I popped that stat up when I did the first time is because Michigan's commitments at tackle the last three cycles almost average out to that exact measurement. I mean, you like a guy like Carson Barnhart who's committed right now. I think he is literally six five, two eighty two. I mean, <laughs> I think he is exactly at that spot. And so it's a lot of it is because a guy like a lot of guys at that size aren't haven't really realized their abilities or their potential at that point. You know, whereas you have a guy who's like six six, three ten in high school who can move pretty well you know, you get them on these, these one-on-one things at these like opening camps. And a lot of the time, those are the types of guys that are going to dominate. Um, much like it's kind of, but on the flip side though, too. And who are the types of guys that'll beat those guys are those like lengthy, but like really undersized defensive end types. It's like every year at the opening or the all American games or whatever, like, you can just you can bank on one of the top performers or the top performer on defense is always like an undersized defensive end because it's like a Miles Garrett type. Well, Garrett was a no because Garrett was just a free. I'm I'm like trying to think of a good like a ample comparison like a. I mean, I think he's going to be really good. Well, I'd say Josh Sweat was a really good example. I think we ended up having him like top five overall. Okay. Had a what I would say is an underwhelming college career, but like he was just had super elite speed, but wasn't playing at a, wasn't at a college size, hadn't put on like college weight necessarily. Um, You know, and so same idea on the offensive side of the ball where, but in the opposite way where a lot of those maxed out guys who have already, you know, you got some of those, I don't know, the sloppy 340 and 350 interior linemen. Again, not talking about Big Mike because he was ne- he's never really been a sloppy yeah uh, guy, but some of these other guys in the interior were just so big that you couldn't move them. <laughs> when you'd go one on one with them, they just wouldn't. You, they were just bricks, you know. You couldn't move them. So um, I just I don't know. That's my instinct. Uh, I think that a lot of the you're more likely to find maxed out prospects on the offensive line. I think the industry has become better yeah. at evaluating a lot of these guys. Uh, but there, I think it's also always almost along with probably tight end, just because tight end is kind of a difficult pro, uh, position to evaluate. Uh, mm-hmm. That I mean, honestly, I'd probably I think the three toughest positions to evaluate, as far as our like the recruiting services go, I think it's uh, quarterback, tight end, and, and offensive, probably offensive tackle more so than guard. Um, yeah, you know, tight end's pretty lightly scouted. There aren't a ton of like great there's always late bloomers at the tight end position every single year uh tackles like i said you have a lot of guys that are kind of you know lightly scouted or 
you know, how many guys have like started out as a tight end and converted to an offensive tackle? I mean, Eric Fisher was the number one pick in the draft from Central Michigan for that exact reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why you see like a guy like Michael Hayes or uh, Michael Hayes, geez, wrestling. Um, Eric Ryan Hayes. There you go. He's Eric. Wow. <laughs> what is it? Today is Friday, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you see a guy like Ryan Hayes, and you think that's ex- like, that's exactly why Michigan's recruiting him the way they're recruiting him or they're, they're projecting him in that way. Cause they think, think they can turn that guy into something like that. So, uh, and then quarterback just is always kind of going to be the ultimate mystery in my opinion. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And there's history. I mean, history is on the side of offensive line being a developed in college position, right? Cause like Mason Cole, wasn't he like the first true freshman offensive line starter week one ever? For Michigan, you know, pretty much, I mean, throughout history, it was, it was, it was all red shirts, you know, people who wouldn't play until year two or year three. So, so yeah, it's interesting to watch. Yeah. I'm interested to see actually for Mason, if he starts for uh, the Cardinals this year, because it would continue his streak of having (laughs) never not started a football game in his entire career, which to me is one of the most amazing like stats or accomplishments that I think anybody could ever, you know, could ever do in, in any sport. Yeah. Let alone football, let alone, let alone on the offensive line. Well, it's like right in, in there with football. Joe Thomas, never missing a snap, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it is, it's, that is so impressive to come in as a freshman in high school. Start, start right away. Start all four years, go to Michigan, go to a school like Michigan, walk right in, start, play all four years, start all four years, and then to go to the NFL and do the same thing. I mean, man, that's, that is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's so impressive. So I'm pulling for him for that reason. I mean, I think that'd be really cool. So speaking of uh, quarterbacks, always kind of a crapshoot. Uh, Cade McNamara had a, I think he was rated as like the fifth best quarterback by our staff at the, at the opening this week. Uh, C Montgomery Burns wants to know if you think, Cade McNamara will get a ratings bump based on his performance. I mean, I know you, you. I don't know how much you followed it. I assume you kept tabs on everything, but like, I guess anything of note for Cade at the opening? The was it the Elite Eleven? I don't know what these are called. No offense. Uh, no, it's the <laughs> no, it's it's the. Uh, it was the opening. I mean, it was just yeah. the Elite Eleven. I think was within the okay. opening. Okay, sure. Um. No, I suspect he's probably going to stay around where he was. I think okay. we ended up ranking him sixth out of the it was the elite eleven, but there were twelve competitors. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't really. They should just they should have just change it to the elite twelve. They invite twelve guys every year, but anyway. Um, no, sixth. I think I think our analysts had four guys they they looked at as kind of the upper tier at least for that weekend. Um, you know, so I would suspect he'll probably stick around where he's at. I mean, I, that's whatever. I mean, he actually had a really good off season, in my opinion, but I think they're probably gonna end up keeping him where they're keeping him. Okay. So pretty simple. Sure, sure. I, yeah, some of these, some of these are simpler. Obviously, let's see. I'm trying to think where we should go. Oh, uh, we got a couple questions about wide receivers. Speaking of depth chart projections in July, uh, we got a couple on the wide receiver. Uh, John Legend said, do you have a read on the wide receiver depth chart heading into the season? Clearly, DPJ and Tariq are 1A, 1 and 1A. Uh, but what about Nico? How do you see the slot sorting out with Perry, McDoom, Martin, 
uh, Schoenberg, McCurry. Schoenberg? Is that Shane Lee? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, he typed Schoenberg. I didn't say no it wrong. Respect. No He's... respect for Nate. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we can talk about that. I think we've talked about it before, uh, but I I had heard it was Nico Collins and, and Oliver Martin had, I mean... You know, it's one of those things, right? Like everyone who red shirts gets pumped up as like, you know, I mean, I'll never forget Austin right. Davis, best rebounder on the team. You know, whether he was or was not, he did not play. That did not lead to him playing much uh, over Wagner and Teske this season. I mean, it's just, it's like a perpetual thing where red shirt people are pumped up. But I, I had heard from a couple people that Nico and Oliver had like really, I mean, they were looking like the, the third and fourth best receivers on the team by by a margin, not a huge margin, but a margin. I don't know. Yeah. Is that consistent with, with what you've heard? I think so. I think all four of those guys in the 17 class are going to make a an impact this year. So, um, yeah, Martin just had to get comfortable. I know he fought some injuries. We talked Again, we've talked about him a couple times, but I think he's comfortable, acclimated. Yeah. Um, well, he talked really, about it. He was really open about how little or how difficult it was to like improve when he yeah. was still learning stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And so, uh, no, I mean, I'm still a big. Yeah, I think there was some hype for McCurry. I, I Nate Shanley was. I don't think he dropped a pass last year that was thrown his way. Not that he got targeted a ton, mm-hmm. um, but he had reliable hands. Uh, he is a special teams ace, which to me says that the coach, I guarantee the coaches absolutely love him. Uh, so it would not surprise me if he stepped up, you know, and made a little bit more of an impact this year as well. So, uh, I mean, he's been a guy that we've been on top of since he got to campus, uh, ever since he was correcting Jed fish in the film room, you know, <laughs> three months after he, you know, joined the program. So, uh, just, He's, I don't know, he's what I would, he's the kind of guy, you go back to what, to Harbaugh's days at Stanford, he just seems like the kind of guy that just ends up making an impact. Uh, you know, the walk on, the, you know, that, like, just, his career just kind of seems to be taking that arc, in my opinion, you know, and so uh, I, I suspect that he will have a say at some point this year as well. But, I mean, the, the, in, the interior spot will just it will be very interesting uh with grant perry and uh you know we'll, with i don't know with mcdoom we'll see i don't really know there uh yeah but yeah not a name we've heard a ton about um to be honest but uh but yeah martin i expect to take off and you know they played nico he got some decent playing time at the end of the year last year, did. which I think yeah. is a great indication that that they were seeing a lot of progression there. So well, and they uh, and they burned his. I mean, I know this is like something I think fans are kind of still holding on to this idea that these players need their redshirt year. When I think Harbaugh has pretty much said, unless you're a quarterback or a lineman, you you probably want to play freshman year. But you know, when they burned his redshirt and sent him down to the Indiana game, I mean, the I think the message that was sent from various sources that came with it was there's no chance he's going to need a fifth year in college. You know? Yeah. I mean, no, they were, I they felt that good that early about him. Right. Yeah. No. Just, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's as really as good of an indication that he's going to take a step forward as anything, you know, and, and you assume 
like any player. Uh, I mean, think about how many guys from that 16 class took such a big step forward last year. I mean, that was the bulk of their production was from the kids, those second year players. So at every position, I'm not talking about receiver. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so do not expect the 17 class, which is probably top to bottom more talented than the 16 class was. Uh, you have to, you have to assume almost that a lot of those guys will take a step forward and receiver maybe more so than any, just because between, especially between Donovan, obviously Donovan the most, cause he had got by far the most experience, mm-hmm. uh, but with Tariq and Nico and then, uh, you know, Martin's a guy, like I said, didn't play. So may have to take, may take a little bit longer to get acclimated, but, um, is a guy. Yeah. I think we will see do some things this year for sure. Yeah. Well, and we've, and if you are new to the podcast, check out some of our old episodes. Cause I broke it down. I think three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, the offensive, uh, statistics of Michigan's top 10 wide receivers of all time. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what they did their first year versus their second year. So it's, there's precedent. That's not to say it's a guarantee. I mean, we saw, you know, people like Kakoa Crawford and Eddie McDoom. They didn't necessarily blossom as as sophomores. So it's it's not automatic, but certainly certainly a lot to feel good about. I, I would say at the receiver position. I mean, of the thirty or so four or five star receiver recruits in the past three cycles, Michigan's got like in the big in the Big Ten at wide receiver four or five stars in the last three cycles. It's about thirty. They've got seven or eight of them on their team right now. So, yeah. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> that's a pretty loaded group. So, um, speaking, nope, there's no way to relate it. We got a, another another quick little transition question, but uh, Andrew Trigstad said, you think Michael Barrett will see the field this year? Seems like the perfect perfect guy for some RPO packages. I should have asked that when we were talking about running backs, but Barrett, I mean, he's – He's not in the same boat as as these guys, but there is. I mean, he's someone that's kind of like a Chris Evans. He can play the slot. He can run the ball. Uh, Andrew thinks he could do some quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen. But or did he mean RPO in the other way, like that he was the runner? Oh well. Thoughts on Michael Barrett and and what the current plan or the latest plan is for him. So that's the other thing. I, I suspect, based on what I was told about a month or so ago that uh, I think his early projection is possibly to receiver as well. Okay. So, um, Throw him in the list. Right. But he is different though. I think he'll get opportunities in a variety of areas. So I just, he's not going to be like a, he's not going to be primarily a running back. That's really kind of the gist of what I was told. Okay. But you got to remember this is before he's even gotten to campus. You know, they had a plan for Chris Evans before he got there, and running back was not necessarily. Slot was his plan, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, slot or even defensive back for him, too. I think people forget that. I mean, they had a lot of. Because Chris was a very good defensive back in uh, during some seven on sevens and stuff uh, Mm -hmm. when he was in high school. And so, really, it was just kind of a. Like I say, there are a few guys like this, uh, already a couple committed in 19, but just kind of a let's get him to campus and see what we got here before we fully dictate what we're going to do. But I know that the plan going in was probably primarily a slot, but again, I think a guy that they would try to get the ball in a few different ways. I don't know if they would do some wildcat, but I would be honest with you, I would not eliminate it. Um, 
whether that's this year or next year or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that I would not eliminate it at some point. Um, again, just that guy is just, he's going to outdo his ranking. I just, just shouldn't be, it's, it's, I think we'll look back and laugh at someday at where he was ranked. I just, I, I just am that big a believer in, in his abilities. His film is just, it just pops like immediately. And uh, so so then that, with that being said, I am, I'm interested to see where, you know, exactly he makes an impact and what they decide to do with him. So another question that this is kind of one of our less seamless podcast, right? Like the transitions aren't great. So apologies to our listeners who care about that sort of thing. But Drew Jones, uh, any idea how the wide receiver recruiting is going to shake out? Could they take two receivers in a slot back? So with all these commitments, I mean, they're the seems like they've filled a lot of their needs, but they probably will need for the, if you're looking 2019, I mean, if we are indeed looking at four receivers who, you know, couple could leave early or could be gone uh none are going to probably last all five years uh so they they do need wide receivers in the 2019 class obviously this is something the the real nitty-gritty can be vip and be reserved for our subscribers like andy and like our listeners should be but any anything as far as like what michigan's looking for not just at receiver, but I guess just overall their neck, their final needs in the 2019 class. Obviously, they're looking at the top tier guys, but any any other uh, holes that they're trying to fill? Uh, well, they definitely. I think honestly, I think the two positions right now that are the most need, the biggest needs, definitely safe. I think safety is number one. I think they need. I think an impact safety, whether that be Daxton Hill or. Louis Cine or And you said else. they're getting Daxton Hill, right? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. People just like they not even read like the updates. Um you know, but I think the either one of those two would be an absolute game changer in this class for them. Uh, and then I do think that receiver is probably probably number two just because you know, yeah, they took the four. Uh we just got done talking about all four of those guys will play this year. And they only took one in 18. And, and so, and it's, it's a guy in Ronnie Bell that I know they believe in big time, but I don't think he's a, he's not a for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and so that puts a lot of kind of a lot of pressure on him. Um, and that's why it makes us if you think about it, it makes a certain amount of sense that they may be looking at Barrett or eyeing Barrett as a potential slot for that reason, because they really only took one true, wide receiver in that class. And uh, so I think, you know, they're going to need at least one on the outside. Um, I, you know, they already have 19 verbals. Uh, it's just, it's the numbers are going to be really interesting here, you know, cause I, I would almost think you'd want to take two. Uh, the top guys there probably being Kyle Ford, who, I mean, maybe had one of the most impressive openings of any prospect period uh, that I can remember. I mean, it sounds like hmm. he just absolutely okay. dominated. Um, How does Michigan, Michigan sit? I mean, are they, is that like, they're a, in it. okay. Okay. They're definitely in it. Uh, I know the big thing with him is I think of his dad or there's a couple members of his family are huge Michigan fans. So that always puts you in the door. I know some will hear that and be like, yeah, it really worked out for us in the past with <laughs> one prospect, you know, that type of thing. But it's it's better than 
them not being Michigan or not. Having, yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, so we'll see uh, that one. I think there's a ways to go. Um, and then Cornelius Johnson's the other guy. Again, another one would probably get into more detail on the board, but Michigan's in it there too. So um, Cornelius Johnson, his mom is a Michigan alum. Yeah. So yeah. another so, one that they're, they're going to be, you know, you can look at it and be like, Oh, it didn't work here, but they're in it. You know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Again, it's just a matter, you know, and George Johnson, who's already committed, uh, I believe is, is a slot for them right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces, you know, cause you have the Wandale Robinson, Giles Jackson group of guys who are kind of like an all purpose back slash slot dynamo, you know, type guy. And, uh, so it, it, it's really, it's really interesting to see how that's all going to shake out, you know, cause like I said, <laughs> You already have 19 verbals and a lot of really, really good players still left on the board for them. So yeah. We'll just have to, yeah. we'll have to see. Yeah, and we talked about it last week. You can listen to last week's episode on our iTunes page. Uh, you know, certainly can get, I mean, you know, don't look at how many scholarships they're on tap for next year, right? Because early departures, I mean, they're, they're averaging like seven or eight a year. Uh, but if you take 25 in this class, you need... 14 early departures so would be a little a little yeah and i just yeah it'll get figured out it always like i don't it always does of, yeah i don't know if people it, when pe i always wonder if when people ask like do they fret are they fretting <laughs> like i don't know because it's like it's literally it has to work out it's never not worked out no yeah <laughs> it's like, like what do they get like they the season gets canceled because <laughs> that's what i mean like yeah but you know what i mean it's like yeah so it it's I just never No, because I mean player it's it's about how many verbals they take or whatever, because it's it has to work out. You know, and like players aren't dumb or delusional, you know, like if no. they're if they take in a whole bunch of guys and you know, I mean it does it takes like what, one meeting with the coaches where they say, Yeah, we we see this guy as a starter over you or this guy as a second string over you. You know, it's what are you gonna do? Most right. likely, you know, if you're trying to make something out of your career you're going to try to transfer somewhere else or, or, you know, find, you know, it, yeah. When, when there's this many people in the program, like no one is like, I'm, I'm going on strike and stay, you know, it's just not, it's not the drama that people think it is. Uh, and like, you know, Oh, is there going to be processing? Like, no, just players. I mean, look, look at the last three years, lots of players transferred away from the program, Yep. you know, it's a reality of college football, period. Yeah. Like, it's not a Michigan-only, <laughs> you know, type thing. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would be, I would, I would be remiss to say that I do kind of believe, at least so far, it's a little, maybe a little titch higher at Michigan than it is well, at some other programs. Well, and I think that's Harbaugh saying that fifth year isn't, isn't a guarantee. Right. Yeah. And that's, as long as he's up front about that, which he always has been, then mm -hmm. I don't really, you know... How many of these kids want to just stick and stick around and say, "No, screw it," you know? I'm going to sit on the bench my last year. You know, yeah. a lot of these kids, they, they know, they're like, a lot of these guys are like, "No, I'd rather just play." Yeah, you know, and so it's, yeah, yeah. It's He's been not... upfront with them about it. There's nobody's being blindsided. Yeah. Well, this year there's there seems I mean there's fewer seniors, but there are more players who could leave early for the NFL. 
And I think right. And look, look at where some of these guys have gotten to transfer. It's not like these some of these guys aren't transferring to like you know Mo Ways and Ian Bunting are transferring to Cal. Like Cal's a hell. Did of Mo a Ways go to Cal too? Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I guess I missed that's, that news. Yeah. That's a like that's a great place to transfer to. Yeah. You know, and 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 to get to play. So, uh, so yeah, it's yeah. But the numbers always work out. You know, like I say, I look at. Who's who they have committed, who they have left, and I'm kind of like, oh, this is going to be interesting, and then I like go think or do something else. So. <laughs> right, like yeah, they won't take a 27 member class, but yeah. you know they're not going to be like, oh, we can't take a commitment until we know someone's, you know, it. It's like undefeated in college football that the number is. Is there even like a penalty if you don't? Like, is there like a rule or something? I honestly, I don't. We've never had to find because, out because I it's because it's never not worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Wrapping up with two questions from from our man Neil via Azul, a frequent question asker, gives us some fun lightning round questions during the season. So appreciate that because it gives us a nice ending segment. But we technically talked about the offensive line too deep. Uh, oh, I think we kind of addressed one of these as well, but the over under on number of additional commits from 2019 or 2020 by the time the first game kicks off. And he set the over under at two and 2.5. I think that's uh, over. Oh, yeah. I yeah. So. I mean, they've had 13 in the last two weeks, so, but who, yeah, right. <laughs> who? Yeah. No, I think it's over. I would say over as things stand yeah. right now. Do you, I mean, do you have a ballpark? I know you really no. don't, but like, you know, with the no. barbecue or anything. Okay. No. We don't even know who's gonna be at the barbecue right now, so it should be hard Why to Why not, Steve? Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> it's only three weeks away. Can't can't wait till we get that initial list put together and then we have to cancel like ten of them and people get pissed because oh, it's the visitors list isn't as good as it was when you guys wrote it two and a half weeks beforehand. That happens happens. <laughs> it's why I always try to write it as close to the event as possible. Yeah. Because you know, it, it, people have no idea how many times a kid's a kid will say, "Yeah, I'm going," you know, and then, "Oh crap, this costs a lot of money to make that trip." I don't think I'm probably probably not gonna be able to make it. Yeah. <laughs> so we gotta cancel. So we have to cancel five star, and then people are like, "Oh, this stinks!" Like, you know, I can't believe. Is it. Michigan's recruiting broken? Yeah, I mean, you do get <laughs> some. You don't. You know, you do get that though. So I always try to. I know it annoys people, but I've, I mean, the way I've always done it anyway was to try to, the, you know, actually I would say this though, the, the official visit weekend, the big weekend they just had, it was one of the first times I can remember that there weren't like a ton of cancellations. Hmm. Uh, So I think the staff in that instance, not just the official visitors too, but some of the other guys that came up, I think they did a great job of actually like getting the guys up because like I said, sometimes these kids will cancel the day of, you know, especially you talk about like in-state guys. I mean, I remember when we covered guys like uh, Damon Webb or uh, even Donovan, like it'd be like, I would just never want to report that those guys were visiting because, you know, it's just a 45 minute drive and they could easily wake up that morning and say, I don't really feel like driving in there today. Yeah. And like, (laughs) and for them, it's just like, I guarantee they just wake up and make that decision. And then you have like grown adults that are like throwing a fit because this kid just maybe decide, I don't know, maybe he decided he wanted to hang out with his friends or something instead. He's been to Michigan 15 times already, you know, type thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, 
I don't know, but but that's why I always try to wait. You mm-hmm. know, so with the barbecue, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of big targets for them up there. I'd be shocked if there weren't. Um, but as far as yeah, and I think that 2.5, I would probably take the over. But who? And that's just what like cost. a statistical thing, though. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, you can look at our. Well, I guess the latest crystal ball. There haven't been too many lately, but you can look at our top targets page for Michigan, our our crystal ball page for Michigan. You can you can probably deduce all the like who who they stand in good position for. Like if you really need to know who and when and all that, like you know you can you can do some some layman's research, especially if you are a VIP subscriber like Andy. Uh, but you can kind of deduce who. Who it is? The other over or the other lightning round question. I like this one, uh, so this is a nice one to end on. But rank rank the mid tier games for Michigan this season on difficulty: Nebraska at Northwestern, Maryland, and at Indiana. Um, yeah, I think I don't know. I think that's a tricky at one. Northwestern has to be the top one. Well, yeah, because it's a road game, and Northwestern won ten games last year and returns. Clayton Thorson, uh, right, and they they have a good defense. I I the, the names yeah. I'd have to pull up the their their sheet to to know their names, but I, I remember they had like like this is supposed to be their best linebacker core. Uh, they like the Justin Jackson replacements at running back. Uh, they do lose. I mean they they they're kind of like Iowa where they they lost some uh, like like top tier guys. Like Godwin at safety and, and Jackson, but they rec- return a good amount of core. So yeah, that's probably the speaking toughest. Of, speaking of Iowa, can we before for a pre- when we start doing preseason previews? I literally think that when we're predicting Iowa's win total, that we should just draw a number out of a hat because that's about <laughs> what it's like trying to predict Iowa year in and year out. Yeah. But anyway, I'd say Northwest. I mean, I could just give mine because I already kind of have an idea. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think. I think Northwestern at Northwestern would be one. I think this comes down to whether you believe in Nebraska in year one or not. Right. That's, that's really that it is. And I kind of do. So they would be third behind. I think Indiana's fourth. I I just think Michigan, I don't think Indiana is going to be anything. No. And it's actually not a road game. It's at home. Oh, it is. Well then, yeah, then they're definitely last. And then Maryland's at home as well, correct? Should be. I went to Indiana and Maryland last year. I don't think I really right. want to go again. <laughs> True. Um, if Maryland's healthy at quarterback, then I think Maryland. I mean, yeah, we, you know, yeah, they beat Texas at Texas last year. They had their fifth stringer against Michigan last year. Uh, I think with a healthy quarterback, you know, again, I think Maryland's ceiling is like middle of the road in the whole is the in the Big Ten as a whole, but. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I don't think Nebraska is going to turn things around this quickly. Uh, I just don't. And that is week so. four, and it's their first road game, right. right of the year, and it's at it's at Michigan. I I I have been told. Well, I had been told that the Nebraska reporters had been told to prepare for a night game for that, if that makes sense. That's, I would. I think it makes. It makes total sense given where it is on the schedule. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From Michigan, right. from the night game perspective, it makes sense. But I just meant the way I s- phrased that because oh. Nebraska's reporters have been told to prepare that to like you know travel schedules and whatnot to prepare for that to be a night game. Sure. 
which does not mean that it is a night game, to be very clear, but it does it does mean that the discussion has been had between the two programs that it could be right. at night. So, so that that could be fun. I, I I think they should do they should do the night games early in the season. They sh- there should I, not be a Minnesota situation where I agree. <laughs> it's like I fully agree. Yeah, it's it's like forty five degrees and raining and just a total cold mess. Not even a hot mess, just a cold mess. Uh, but yeah, so I would say I would say Northwestern. I for some reason I I think that twenty fifteen season. Like that was, I think that was the last time Michigan's played Northwestern. So it's like one of those things where I just, I almost chalk that up as a as a win when I probably shouldn't, but I just feel like Michigan is going to outplay and outcoach Northwestern, and that's going to be, you know, they don't go to Evanston every year or every other year anymore. So the Chicago alumni base will be out in droves for that game. Uh, I think it's actually close to a sellout. If that gives you, like, I remember the single game tickets were were pretty skim. Uh, when some of my friends were looking, so but they'd probably still be number one. I'd put Nebraska two, uh, Maryland. I mean, we'll see. You know, they beat Texas, but Texas didn't ended up being not all that good, and that was uh, that was Herman's first game. So you know that that could have it could have just played the right team at the right time because um, they didn't look very good to me when I watched them the rest of the year. I know I know not having your first or second string quarterback. Uh, hinders things you know I think you could ask Michigan fans about that too but it just I didn't see anything particularly impressive about Maryland so but they would be three because I think Indiana I I think they're heading they're one of the few Big Ten teams that seems to be heading the wrong way in my opinion yeah so anyway uh if you're oh go ahead no sorry but it it stinks because like think about Indiana like they've been so close in so many big games over the years, but always are that team that never seemed to get the win. Yeah. You know, like Michigan State last year. I mean, they had Michigan State. Yeah, they um, did. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in in had, East Lansing, right? Yeah, they've had, well, they've had Michigan like three yeah. times in the last like five or six years and not been able to finish the deal. So, um, and I believe they gave Ohio State a game at some point in there too. I think it was one of those. They gave him a half last year. Yeah, maybe it was a, that might've been what I was thinking. Like it was close for a while and then Ohio state ran away, but the final score probably really didn't indicate the. Yeah. That happened last year. I think, it, I think, it, I mean, you know, it has happened every time, right? Like I've been to Bloomington for football twice and it went into overtime both times. Right. You know, I, although Michigan seemed significantly better. It was, it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, I, I almost like wonder. I don't know how they do it, but like they're just able to like make a team not convert their good playing into scores. Like it's just I don't know if that made, like you know it's like it's like a slow possession basketball team where it's like you know a team should be running away with it, but they're not. Um, but no, they lose T. Gray Scales, Richard Font. Um, I mean, I think Morgan Ellison at running back is is fine and. The Peyton Ramsey, their sophomore quarterback. So, uh, I don't know. I think they're there's no there's little reason for me to believe that they will be better than they were last year, and they were not very good last year. So, so. anyway, uh, if uh, we had some other questions, but either they they were more of a VIP kind of question because this is a free podcast, uh, or or I didn't write them down, but. 
Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. All questions this time, so that was fun. Uh, feel free to submit questions next week when we look for podcasts uh, for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories at michigan.247sports.com, 247sports.com slash Michigan, the Michigan Insider. However you want to get there, it'll work. Uh, but this has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. We'll see you next time.